the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. It's always an honor. Today is Friday, February the 17th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On February 17th, 1801, the U.S. House of Representatives broke an electoral tie between Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr. Yeah, that Aaron Burr. They elected Jefferson president and Burr became vice president. Today in 1815, the United States and Britain exchanged the instruments of ratification for the Treaty of Ghent that ended the War of 1812. Today in 1863, the International Red Cross was founded in Geneva. Today in 1897, the forerunner of the National PTA was called the National Congress of Mothers. It convened its first meeting in Washington. Today, in 1964, the Supreme Court in Wesbury versus Sanders, it ruled that congressional districts within each state had to be roughly equal in population. Today, in 2015, Vice President Joe Biden opened a White House summit on counterfeiting, uh, on countering extremism and radicalism. He said the United States needed to ensure that immigrants were fully included in the fabric of American society to prevent violent ideologies from taking root at home. I don't know how well that is going. I guess we're going to find out, but millions have come across our borders illegally, and apparently no one knows who they are or where they are within the United States. I doubt that a policy by President Biden is going to change that. His policy of open borders has already set the tone. And I believe we are at risk as a result of that. And people much more informed than I am about that are saying the same thing. It's a sad, sad day that we can't have organized and some kind of a a thoughtful process of immigration that we once had long, long ago. So maybe not so long ago as well. I got to give you a smile. I'm going to be talking today about something that's very, very important. And um, it's particularly to myself, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But I think this this will give you a little bit of a smile and a little bit of a concern. It it did me at least. But, you know, after that balloon and and the fiasco of the the president and his all of his horses telling us that, uh, you know, no, don't worry about that balloon. Yeah, no, that's not a big deal and so on. And that's what they were saying when that balloon first appeared, when we became aware of it, us, we people, the little people in America became aware of it. Um, they just played it down. I mean, like, like, why are you guys so concerned? Yeah, it's just a balloon. It's it's not a problem. Yeah, we got. Yeah, we are. We're aware of it, and so on. That's what they were saying. When the nation reacted in in anger and and concern, President Biden then ordered it shot down. 
And then they said, well, the reason we were waiting is because we wanted, we didn't want to shoot it down over land because we didn't want to hurt someone. Well, that really was created after the fact because they never said anything close to that in the beginning. And if that were true, that would have probably been the first thing they would have said because it kind of made some sense. Uh, but anyway... After that, then they went on a rampage, which I agree with. I mean, you got to know what's flying around on our skies. But they went on this kind of a shooting rampage, almost like a video game. And they were shooting down balloons, and there was something the size of a car. And they won't tell us what it is. I mean, the I haven't seen any reports of any substance on it. But there is a story that's coming out. It's been pretty well verified, I think. But you can wait and see on this one but i just gotta share it with you the uh the mystery one of the mystery objects that the, uh, one of our jets shot down uh, amid this ongoing hysteria uh, sparked by the chinese spy balloon we know what that was well anyway one of those uh, uh, articles uh, that in the sky that they won't tell us about or they won't tell us what it was apparently was a 12 dollar inflatable a balloon, a big one, but not nearly as big as the Chinese one. But it, it was, they paid $12 for it. It was a hobby group in Illinois. And the Northern Illinois, Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, that's what they call themselves, they reported that one of their balloons was missing in action. It got away from them. And they said it was around that same location where this object was shot down and at the same time. And the U, uh, U.S. Air Force jet downed this uh, unidentified object near Alaska using a $40,000 Sidewinder missile to shoot down a $12 wayward balloon. The uh, the group said it's KY, uh, KY, K9YO balloon last reported its location shortly before 1 a.m. on Saturday, February 11th, uh, near the coast of southwest Alaska. And the Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, it's a Missouri hobby group, they claim that their $12 weather balloon last pinged near Yukon on February 10, hours before the F-22 brought down the UFO in the same area with the $400,000 missile. Well, I'm glad they shot it down if they don't know what it is. I mean, who knows what's in the sky, but it's kind of interesting that... Uh, boy, you would hope that our surveillance would be better than that, but I don't know. I, I guess it it isn't. Thanks for being with me today. It's always a pleasure, and I want to thank you for your support of this ministry. It is a uh, it is vital that people stand with us, and so many of you do, and I thank you for it. I'd like to encourage people, if you are listening regularly and you feel that there's um, value and what we're doing, I would ask you to support it. Our sole support is from our listeners, people who listen to this program and agree or believe it's valuable to be out there. A lot of people listen to this program, and I don't like to talk about the people who are listening, but a lot of people who do not agree with our, our values, they do not agree with our worldview, a biblical worldview, but they listen for whatever reason. And I'm glad that they listen, and I'm glad that you listen if you're one of them. Just keep listening with an open heart, because God loves you, he cares about you, and he wants to do something special for you by forgiving you of your sins and bringing you into a right relationship with God. 
And I believe that if you will listen with an open heart, you will hear that message again and again on this program as we talk about the current events of each day. That's why we originate live every morning. So thank you for your support, all of you who support us, and those of you who are about to start supporting us. Thank you in advance. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. I want to talk to you about something that is purely religious today. A revival is taking place on the campus of Asbury University in Kentucky. It's a school that was founded by Methodists. A lot of well-known and very successful Methodist pastors have gone to that university, that seminary. It's now spreading to other university campuses. Students say during a call to confession last Wednesday, February the 8th, at least 100 people fell to their knees and just started bowing at the altar. These are students. These are kids. No, they're not confused about their gender, their identity. They're not pushing an agenda. They're seeking God. Since then, they say it has been it has turned into a Holy Spirit outpouring that shows no signs of stopping. I want to bring you up to speed on this if you're not already. Today is day nine in Hughes Auditorium at Asbury University. The spiritual revival is continuing as we speak. One guy, one uh, professor is is uh, posting on Twitter. He said, as of midnight last night, the revival was continuing. May the manifest presence of Jesus visit churches today in divine power, just like he has in Hughes Auditorium at Asbury. People are beginning to pick this up, and it's on the Internet, and it's being seen now around the world. But it isn't just Asbury. It began in a most simple way with prayer and humility when a few students praying together at a mid-morning chapel service on February 8th, Alexandria Preska is the editor of the student-run website. It's called the Asbury Collegian, and it's all online, but it would be like a like a school newspaper, but it's, it's an online uh, newspaper. She wrote an article and uh, published it on February 8th, and I, I want to, rather than try to summarize what she was saying, I just want to read to it. I don't normally read a lot on this program. I read bits and pieces that fit into what I'm talking about every day. But let me just read what this senior, Asbury, uh, wrote. As, and she, she's the editor of their, of their uh, Asbury Collegian. What she wrote as she was experiencing this and is still continuing as we speak. There are kids praying and, and, and worshiping God and asking to forgive their sin. These are mostly, for the most part, Christian kids, but they haven't, they've gotten kind of cold in their experience with God. And maybe some are accepting Christ for the first time. But, I mean, it's happening, and it's authentic. I believe it's authentic. Uh, I believe it very strongly. So she wrote this on uh, this article on the 8th. And uh, she said, as a senior, I have never witnessed anything like this. And so I'm going to read from her article here for the next minute or two, and I'll tell you what I at the end of the quote, but I'm quoting her now. I have been in Hughes Auditorium for almost 12 hours now, this was several days ago, without an intent to leave anytime soon. Peers, professors, local church leaders, seminary students surround me, all of them praying and worshiping and praising God together. She said voices are ringing out, people are bowing at the altar, arms stretched out, 
<clears throat> she said a pair of friends cling to each other in a hug, one with tears in her eyes. A diverse group of individuals crowd the piano and flawlessly switch from song to song. She said, some even sat like me with laptops open. She said, no one wants to leave. She continued, no one even expected this to happen. Not on a random Wednesday for sure. Yet we sit and sing about God's love pouring out in his goodness. As a senior, I have never witnessed anything like this. I've heard about it from alumni, especially though especially those who come to chapel and have spoken about the experience with the revival in 1970. December graduate Ellie Hooper agrees with me. I am one of many who have been praying for this since my freshman year, Hooper says. To be here and to witness this is life-giving. There have been moments of testimony, scripture reading, prayer, private and public, whatever the Spirit felt like doing. Different leaders like chapel speaker Zach Mirkrebs, I think that's how you pronounce his name, I'm not sure, and campus pastor Greg Hasselhoff worked to keep the day flowing as long as God intended it. Pizza, snacks, water, and coffee rejuvenated the energy around dinner time and after the sunset. The experience is a true testament to show God's timing. He knew when we as a student body and as a community needed a day like today to confess to reconcile, to heal, and allow prayers to be spoken over us. He knew what we needed to do and helped us to do it. He's still present, even as I type these words. Honestly, it is hard to describe everything I'm feeling, much like my friends sitting around me. Part of me is filled with nothing but gratitude. We have sung the popular song by Brandon Lake more than once, but the truth of the lyrics hit every time. And here are here's the lyrics that she quotes. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, cause all that I have is a hallelujah. That, that's a worship song. Some of you probably are familiar with it, maybe some not. I've embraced friends, cried with strangers, and overall felt more connected to God than I have in a long while. And I'm only one person, one witness to healing and transformative action taking place on the carpets against the walls between the wooden rows of seats. Junior Abigail Glee said she felt peace about the sovereignty of God. Abigail said he's teaching me to believe that he is in control and that I, I don't need to worry. Asbury has a history of revival. This happened in 1970 as well. In 1970, what began as a chapel service was followed by 144 hours of unbroken worship with the kids of that, of that time, of that generation. Very similar to what's happening again today. Jim Garlow is best known as a longtime California pastor, New York Times bestselling author. In fact, Garlow pastored the Skyline Church, the Methodist Church, very biblical conservative church. I've met him, and I know about the church. But uh, he, he's a noted leader, and he's done a lot of things. He's, he's particularly in, um, in California. He's the Skyline Church, he's, he has retired from the church now, but he's still very active. It's in La Mesa, California. That's a suburb of, of, of San Diego. And he is uh, often referred to as a 
best-selling author, and he is, but he's also the leader in the pulpit freedom movement. And that became part of the conversation when President Trump was in office. And that has to do that pastors about what pastors can and cannot say, or ministers can or cannot say about political. Uh, you can't have any political advocacy from the pulpit and so on, which is contrary to our founding principles in this nation. I mean, there's no question about that. This came about, and I'm not going to get off into that today because that, I want to talk about this revival that's happening and it's expanding. And I'll, I'll get to where it's expanding in just a moment. But Lyndon B. Johnson, LBJ, when he was a senator, is the one he got mad at some guys who had a nonprofit organization that were putting out information opposing him when he was running for office. And he got mad at them, and he slipped through an amendment in, in the Senate, and it's called the Johnson Amendment. And it was foreign to anything any of the founders ever suggested, ever suggested. And it had to do with muzzling church leaders about talking about politics. And it was Johnson, it was personal, and now it's treated as though it's part of the founding documents of the United States of America. It's not. It is not. But the IRS can use it to punish people, particularly, I suppose, if they're saying things about politicians favorably, that maybe the government or our so-called public servants don't agree with. I don't know. But I do know it's there and it has been used by the IRS against nonprofits, particularly evangelical churches or evangelical people. So anyway, Jim Garlow has been kind of a leader in that pulpit freedom movement. He still is. And uh, he was also appointed by uh, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, uh, Newt Gingrich started an organization, a nonprofit called Renewing American Leadership, a nonprofit organization that he created when he left Congress. He um, ha- asked Jim Garlow to be the head of it, the CEO and the president and so on. And he is now. So he's, he's doing a lot of things. He's a great preacher of the gospel, powerful guy. And we hear so much about the Methodist Church and its waywardness and drifting away from, you know, the issues on marriage and and all all of these various issues. But all Methodists are not going down that path. And Garlow is one of them, I can can assure you. So anyway, he was in that revival that happened in 1970. He came there as um, as a freshman. And so he said, what happened in September when he came to school there in 1970? He said was that students regathered from the summer and they were talking uh, uh, back in the auditorium about what they had done and all the places that they had gone and the evangelism and all that kind of thing that had been going on uh, that fall uh, or the spring of, of that year. So he said that one week revival at a seminary was part of a spiritual renewal that went worldwide. And you can, if you recall, we didn't have then, we didn't have internet and all that kind of thing. He said that revival spread to, be, uh, spread to become referred to as the Jesus movement, and it did. This is particularly sensitive to me because I was a youth pastor during those days, and uh, the Jesus movement was real. It wasn't what the church expected. It wasn't what some people had been praying for. I mean, there were people claiming and marching for Jesus that were stoned on drugs. I mean, I, I was in all of that. 
not stoned on drugs. I was a youth pastor. And I remember it well. And I mean, it's, it's very, it's a very sensitive part of my memory in my heart. I saw kids transformed by the power of God. And I, and I saw some adults criticizing and they're saying, well, these kids, they're not wearing shoes and blah, blah, blah. But man, God was doing a work in their lives and it, it impacted me and it impacted my ministry tremendously, made it imprint that I'll never forget. I remember it at this moment like it was yesterday because it was real. It was God moving. Excuse me. In the hearts of kids. And some of them had known about Jesus. They'd grown up in church. Some of them had no clue. I mean, they just knew that God was a slang word and Jesus was used when you're mad or whatever. This echoes what I've seen personally. I witness what's happening today in these seminaries. And it isn't just Asbury. It's happening in other seminaries now. But just as back in 1970, Garlow was was a freshman coming in to the seminary in 1970. In fact, that revival became so powerful and it spread so dramatically without the Internet, without YouTube and all of that kind of thing. It spread so dramatically that it began to be known as the Jesus movement or the Jesus revolution. And it culminated in a series of Jesus marches through the cities of the world with tens of millions of youth marching for Jesus. There was one march in Los Angeles. I was in North Hollywood in some of those years as a youth pastor. There was one march that the newspapers said there had to be a million kids. Nobody knew how many, but that's what they were saying about it. Time magazine put out an art, put out a, a, an edition on on June 21st, 1971. Time magazine put Jesus on the cover, and they put over him in kind of a, a banner type or a, a, a kind of an emblem type. It said the Jesus Revolution, and there was Jesus face. I mean, a likeness of of him on on the cover of Time magazine. And it wasn't a negative article. They were just exploring, like, what in the world is happening? These kids are getting off drugs, and they're getting delivered from all this stuff, and what's going on? And there were a bunch of us that were running around telling anybody that would listen what was going on. It was God doing something very special in that generation. So you ask yourself, is this real? The answer is yes, it is. It is real. Are there abuses? Yes, of course there are. There's always some person that tries to get involved. I mean, they're trying to get attention or whatever. But American Family Radio's Exploring the Word, the co-host there, Bert Harper, he's a Southern Baptist minister, and he was talking about this, uh, I think it was yesterday, and he's very excited about it. And uh, he said this Asbury revival, he said, he said, I trust this. He said, this is of God. It's not kids doing what kids do. He said, this is the real thing. He said a pastor friend of his visited Asbury just the other day to observe what God was doing, and he just wanted to sense the spirit, be discerning, and see what was really happening there. And he said within an hour, this pastor said, man, I, this Southern Baptist pastor, I think it was, he said, I just got drawn into the worship, and I was worshiping with these kids. He said, it's real. Harper knows the history of revivals in the United States. He says he believes Asbury mirrors those genuine 
Holy Spirit-inspired movements because the Spirit is leading the congregation in Wilmore. That's where this this uh, Asbury is located in Kentucky. He said the Spirit of God is leading in this and leading the emotions, not the emotions leading what's happening in the chapel. And he said that is the authenticating aspect that he saw, that he sensed that these kids were not just caught up in, in an emotional thing that wasn't real. It is real. And God is doing a deep work, he said. It's a Holy Spirit-driven. He said emotions are following the Spirit without the emotions leading the way. Well, the world is watching. Charlie Kirk, uh, Turning Point USA, he was posting, I think it was this morning or last night, on um, on his um, on his Twitter account, similar reports are coming from Lee University now. That is a Christian university and other seminaries and universities. But unlike the 1970 revival, there's 150 in 1950 revival that preceded that one. News of Asbury's ongoing uh, revival and its unbroken worship service is spreading online all over the world on YouTube. The worldwide exposure means that Asbury is the target of well-meaning critics and ill-intentioned wolves. Both are coming around. So pray for these kids and pray for this move of God. Asbury leaders are reportedly watching for wolves inside and outside the auditorium. Janet Mefford, who's a radio host, she's watching out for these wolves too. She's That's what she does. She kind of looks after things like that. But she's using her Twitter account. She's warning that a liberal queer group named the New Evangelicals have arrived on the seminary campus to stir up trouble. So it appears the Holy Spirit and the rainbow flag draped wolves have both arrived in Wilmore, Kentucky, she says. In addition to Asbury and Lee, a revival at a Baptist university in Cedarville, Ohio, is taking place. They're reporting it. Early Tuesday morning, Fulce noted that students, that's a professor, that students were worshiping inside the chapel. 1.30 a.m., salvation, deliverance, healing. Isaiah 40, they were quoting that to one another, these students. At 4.15 a.m., entering the fourth day, this is what I'm witnessing. In addition to all of this, Cedarville University President Thomas White, to Baptist school, He says, we took a moment to pray and to sing a song, and during the song, without an altar call or invitation of any kind, we had some students who began to come forward and pray. Before the chapel was over, the altar was full of students just praying. Some were weeping. Others were hugging one another. Many students remained after chapel. Others returned after classes. White says about a 1,000 of the 3,000 student body chose to stay after service and worship the Lord. The revival is continuing. Some students have gone to nearby schools to share the good news and to evangelize. I'm not certain about this, but I think that school, Cedarville University, is the school that that David Jeremiah's father was president of when he was growing up. You may have heard him talk about it. I'm not positive about that, but I didn't have time to research it. But I, I think that's a school that his father was president of in his growing up years. But this is a a tremendous move of God. And I tell you this, so you you be aware, the skeptics are there, the gays are starting to move in there now, and they're going to try to disrupt this. But God is doing a special work. These kinds of things that we're witnessing today are spoke of in the Bible 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, wickedness in high places, Paul wrote. There is that. But I want to tell you there is a greater move of God happening in the lives of young people in colleges and universities as we speak. Have a good weekend. I'll see you Monday. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.